Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 322 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is May 26, 2014. Happy Memorial Day to everyone out there. Hope you're really enjoying this holiday. We've got a big show for you, talking with Dan Weber later on. Coach Hovery Hyde about USC Trojan football, some of the offseason stuff going on, some of the other sports that USC's had some success in. Over the past few weeks, lots of stuff going on in the USC athletic world. If you have any questions for us, we'd love to hear from you. Podcast at uscfootball.com, or you can call us at 206-888-6755, or just go to our website, peristylepodcast.com, leave a voicemail right on the page. Right, well, let's bring in Coach Harvey Hyde, and happy Memorial Day to you, Coach. Thank you very much, Brian. I appreciate it uh, to be on today. As coaches and uh, everyone else, we uh, work on holidays, but uh, it's the right thing to do as far as I'm concerned. And I, again, uh, had a chance to serve in the Army. And uh, for all of you servicemen out there and uh, that are still serving or have served, uh, uh, we thank you because it gives us the opportunity, Ryan, to do this, what we do, and say what we say for our freedom here in this country. And it means so much. So, um, Happy Memorial Day to everyone out there, too. And, again, thank you to all of our servicemen. And thank you, Coach, for your service and everyone else. All our listeners, thank you very much for your service and support of the servicemen and women of the U.S. Army and all the armed forces. So we appreciate that and thinking of all of you on this Memorial Day. Um, want to thank our sponsor, too, Southern California Tickets, sctickets.com, or call them at 1-800-888-7287. Some exciting Kings hockey going on if you want to get tickets for that or anything else. Check out sctickets.com. And, uh, Coach, lots of stuff going on. It's May. It doesn't seem like there's going to be <laughs> – it never seems like there's a lot going on. But you kind of – football never ends, Coach. And I, I don't know. There's always something – the talk going on. that The draft ends. We'll start getting into these off-season workouts. And we had a question from Melvin on this and wanted to get your thoughts because, you know, you, you were a coach before and – you understand this, but during this off season and this off period, what are the coaches doing? And are they working on game strategies for specific opponents uh, this early? It's like, for example, for USC looking at Stanford in game two, what was your off season like coach? And what are, what are coaches working on during this time? Well, really in coaching, you really don't have an off season right now too. You're worried about uh, making sure that your players are passing their courses you're making sure to they're in the right courses that they're signed up for summer school if that's necessary and some of the uh, classes that these kids need that they can't take during the school year because of practice you've got to make sure you're working with your academic advisors to make sure that all this is happening that a kid doesn't come up short in in one class and is ineligible so you've got all that off season academic stuff you have to worry about. I used to make my assistant coaches responsible, along with myself, of course, with every position coach as far as their players that play under them, to work with the academic advisors to make sure that nothing falls through uh, and there's a a mistake somewhere. 
So you've got to always make sure the academic side of your football program is taken care of and you're working closely with your players and the coaches are working closely with uh, the parents of these players to make sure they understand exactly what situation they're in and if they need to get some work done, they've got to do that. And uh, you always keep the family aware of what's happening on campus with their sons or daughters. That was one thing we were doing. We were also finishing up spring recruiting as far as evaluating players, uh, putting players down as far as a list of priorities. Uh, I used to always work with my recruiting coordinator Then I would call each position coach in that's been all over the country at different high schools uh, in their regions, and we talk about players that were in their regions. I was able to go out and recruit in the spring. Now head coaches can't go out and recruit in the spring. I, I just don't like that. I used to be able to visit a lot of high schools and sometimes stop by high schools that really didn't have a player, but someday they would have a player, and I wanted to make sure that we cared about their football program as much as we cared about other football programs. So uh, you bring each position coach in with the recruiting coordinator, and you evaluate them all, and then you have a, a staff meeting with all of your position coaches, and you evaluate all the players that they've all seen, and you discuss them a little bit so you're not – you know, doing a lot of this in the, in the season, you've already had these players evaluated, so you know exactly what you think of them, and then you keep in touch with them during the season to make sure that you follow through with all of their uh, progress. Now, we used to, you know, see, we didn't have all these summer camps. We had one summer camp, one summer camp where the kids would come on campus and we'd practice with them and have an opportunity to evaluate them. We didn't have summer camps every single weekend we we just like the kids do today i don't believe in it today i think it's overdoing it i, I think kids need a time to rest their bodies the best rehab for a player who's injured or tired is don't do that just get away from the game for a while but now for some reason everybody has kids on every type of tournament seven on seven in the summers all of these things competition camps scrimmages and full pads in some camps I mean, I think there's a little bit overdoing that, but that's what's being done. The specialization of a football player now is year-round. You don't see many players playing other sports, which I believe is very necessary, and I still feel it's necessary for kids in high school and on the lower levels, not to, specify, not to get specifically involved in one sport early, but you do them all. Your hand-eye coordination is better. You have more fun. You have more friends. And then you look forward to the regular routine of the coming football, basketball, track season. I used to have all of my linemen, if the track coach needed shot putters, and these guys had experience in shot putting, they'd shot put, along with working out, of course, in spring practice. Yes, they'd go to spring practice, but on the weekends, if the coach needed the shot put and get points for a school, they'd do that. So you're working on that, and then <clears throat> every coach, I would give a two-week vacation period of time during the summer to the office would never be bare. Someone and the coaches would always be in the office. You always have to have a coach in the office and a secretary in the office because you never know who's going to drop by campus. And you don't want somebody to drop by campus and say, oh, the coaches are all gone. I used to hate that when the coaches were all gone. Or I'd go by some office and the coaches are all gone. So we would break up our summer vacations as far as two weeks for each coach and their families to go away. But we always had someone covering the offices. It was always broken down where if that coach has gone on offense and other coaches there on offense. And the same thing with defense. So that we always have coaches on campus to help kids. 
that uh, are in summer school to motivate them and keep touch with the academic advisors to know exactly what's going on. So we didn't have a lot of time off. We took two weeks, but it seemed like a lot of time. And we all wanted to get back and go to work and start evaluating our opponents. During the time that we were gone or during this spring recruiting time, our graduate assistants were breaking down the opponents. We had them all cut down. We had all the films put together. We had the whole uh, package put together of all of their past games, their uh, tendencies and all that. That's basically almost all done by now. And then we'd start looking at the teams themselves, but not emphasizing uh, too far ahead. We want to take one game at a time because if you start emphasizing too far ahead, you lose really focus on each game and what you have to do. So then we get ready for fall camp and uh, get started, and away we'd go. It's a lot going on in the off season, but it's, I like the way you stagger that, Coach, where you get coaches a couple of weeks but always have uh, someone there around. You're not sure when recruits are going to stop by or family. Maybe some five-star kid from out of state is on vacation in, you know, in, in Vegas or Los Angeles or wherever you're coaching. You don't want the coaches to all be gone. You want someone to be there, at least be able to show them around and, and say hello. Yeah, and, I, and I'll give you an example. Last year, Tyler Boyd. I'm pretty close with Tyler Boyd, the kid that made freshman All-American and also uh, Clarington High School. He's from Clarington High School in Pennsylvania. Uh, he called me along with his uncle, and they were in L.A., and uh, I don't know if you guys followed, if, if you followed him at all. But he became, you know, he was a great player this year in the ACC and, and just did a great job. But is Pitt in the ACC or are they? What are they in now? Uh, I think Pitt's the ACC now. Yeah. Okay, and and was first team All ACC. Did a great job. Where he came by, and I sent him by SC. I said, "Go by," because he really liked USC, and it just happened to miss the coaches. So um, that was a year ago, not this year. That was a year ago, and. And they didn't have enough scholarships, I guess, to evaluate it to take him anyway. But it's just uh, the idea of having someone around to talk to these kids, but you never know who's going to come by. And uh, I, I, I'm glad you like that idea, Ryan, but if you were on the staff, I wouldn't have to fight with you, you know? There you go. No, I wouldn't. I would just, whatever you say, Coach, I'm, I'm game. <laughs> um, well, so one of the big the, the piece of news that we kind of talked about last week on the show with uh, Ty Isaac uh, deciding to transfer, um, you know, we're not really sure where he's going to go. We've, we've still had some more discussion about that. There's a voicemail question here. I think it's stemming from Ty Isaac leaving the program. So I wanted to get your thoughts on this, Coach. Uh, here you go. Hello. Yes, I've been a USC fan for over 45 years. And this is ridiculous that these guys come into USC campus and then they want to leave after whatever reason. I think they stay out a year. Okay, that's my opinion. Thank you very much. I'm still a USC fan. Bye. Well, let me answer this by, first of all, saying in the old days, when I was coaching, uh, you had to sit out. There was no medical uh, reason for transferring. You had to sit out. And if you transferred within the same conference, you lost a year. It was an automatic thing. Uh, uh, so if you wanted to transfer, if the coach didn't want to give you a release, uh, you couldn't even be on scholarship that year. And uh, But you had to sit out no matter where you went to school. Uh, I sort of liked that. Uh, because you've invested in this in, in this player, uh, this player, uh, uh, you know, has has, has, has utilized a spot as far as the numbers in recruiting and the roster numbers and so on. And all of a sudden, they come up want to uh, transfer. 
and especially if they're a good player that's looking that you're looking forward to as far as having them be a part of your program, but maybe not starting, but you want them on your roster. Now, I look at it differently, too, on players that I made a mistake on evaluating them, evaluating them. I mean, that's not the kid's fault. If I thought this kid could play at our level, and he can't, and the kid comes in and says, hey, coach, with his parents, this is way over my head. Uh, I need to transfer and, and go somewhere I can play, and I would say, you know, I would never cut you as a football player or say I'm taking your scholarship away. I've never done that because that's my fault if I misevaluate a player's ability. But if that player wanted to leave, then I would definitely give him his release so that he could transfer somewhere and be on scholarship when he sent out that year because I didn't want to penalize that kid for something that I did or our staff did. It wasn't the kid's fault he didn't mature into being a player or we made a mistake. So I like that. I like to be able to let that happen. Now, today's rule, they didn't have the rule that if you go down a level, you're automatically eligible. Uh, we didn't have that, which we should have had. And the kids are automatically eligible. We should have had, but that's probably the level the kids should have been playing at in the first place. So I like that change as far as in the NCAA rules, that if you step down a level and go 1AA or Division two or whatever, you're immediately eligible. In most cases, you're not going to play against them. But as far as the, the way it was in the other areas, I completely agree. I think that's the way it should be. There's a lot of talk actually right now, Coach, about uh, with NCAA reform, and, and a lot of people are saying that they want to get rid of that, some of the transfer restrictions. They want to make it easier for players to be able to transfer, the reason being that coaches are able to leave whenever they want. Uh, why can't players too? So I don't, I don't know if you've seen that lately, but that's definitely been something that people have been talking about. Well, everything is an equal, Ryan. Uh, coaches are part of the university. Players are part of the university. Yes, coaches go, but they have buyout agreements, and, and sometimes uh, coaches go when they get fired too. So coaches are in a unique situation as far as if you win, you're around. If you don't win, you're gone. Uh, I don't like, I really believe this, that if a coach leaves within a certain time, let's say around the national letter of intent, let's say you recruit a class and the week or two or a month after you recruit a class signing date, like February 5th or whatever uh, date it was, it was February 5th this year, that your head coach resigns and goes to the San Francisco 49ers. This happened with Dennis Erickson at Oregon State. He recruited his class. You know he's been in every home telling him, I'm going to be there, we're going to be great. But they had a great team at Oregon State. They just manhandled Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl that year. And the next day, or two days after the national signing date, he goes to the 49ers. Well, I don't think that's right. And I believe, I believe those kids should be able to transfer or go to another school if they want to. Because that's misleading kids. That is misleading them saying, we're going to be here. Because when you go into a home and you recruit, you gain the confidence of that student athlete and those parents that you really are going to work with this kid and help him reach his goals, both academically and athletically. And then um, two days after you leave, I mean, that doesn't make sense, and I think it's not the right way of doing it. I think coaches should stay around. If, say, if that coach uh, leaves within uh, three months or whatever, or half a year, those kids should be able to transfer or, and be released. I really believe that. Now, not, not the kids that have been there. 
but the kids that are a part of that recruiting class. I just, I just don't like that when, when you say you're going to be somewhere, you're going to take care of these kids, and then immediately you leave. I, I, don't, I think that's misleading parents and student-athletes. All right. Well, thanks for that question, the voicemail question. And they're obviously a fan not really happy with uh, Ty Isaac transferring out. We'll see what happens with that. There'll be more details coming out soon. We'll find out where he goes and all of that. Um, Charlie had a question, Coach. He says, I'm torn on what USC should do with Adore Jackson. His best position is at defensive back. However, 2014 NFL drafts, many of the teams were looking for big six-foot and taller defensive backs to imitate what Seattle did to defend the spread. But on the other hand, there were a lot smaller wide receivers getting picked in this draft. Although I'd, I'd rather have a Dory on defense. And if by chance we get Iman Marshall next year, this defensive secondary would be lights out. What do you do with a Dory Jackson? That's from Charlie. Well, you've always heard me say, you got to get your players on the field. You've always said, you've always heard me say, what good it is, what good is it to have him watching? And you have a great player, and he's not going to stay. He's not going to redshirt. He's not. He's going to. He's. He's thinking right now of the NFL. That's the way it goes today, with college student athletes, five-star athletes. So you've got to get him on your field, and you've on the field, and you got to be able to sit down and evaluate your talent at all positions, and you got to do what's best for the team and best for the athlete. You've got to convince that athlete that today in the NFL, corners are making as much money or more than receivers, and you can show him stats on that. I mean, you can say that, hey, do you want to play or do you want to watch? We want you to play because of the athletic ability you have. Now, I would give him an opportunity to display his skills, and I want to evaluate him against our type of player, not a high school player, but our type of receivers at USC. Plus, I'd give him an opportunity to run the slot or one of the receiver spots too early in fall camp so I can make a real determination on where this kid should be, where this kid should play, as long as Juju Jackson or Smith too, uh, I agree. If you have great corners, you can do a lot as far as in the secondary. So uh, I think you have to evaluate what's best for the young man, but also key what's best for the team. What makes you a better football team? What makes you a team that will compete? What makes it your team one that uh, that uh, is utilizing its talent? So I think it's not I want to play this. I think it's what should you play for yourself and for the team? And sometimes it's difficult to convince a young man, but it's better playing than watching and putting another great player on the bench or not playing because you're in the wrong position. So you really have to evaluate your talent. Things aren't always equal. Things have to be done sometimes for the best interest of the team. Now, where should he play this year? I'm not sure. I know that uh, cornerback is something that's really uh, a key position in shutting down all these uh, offenses and so on that's going on now. But he's a very, very exciting offensive football player, too. So you have to really evaluate and put him in the right place. Yeah, it'll be, it's going to be something to watch. That's why fall camp is going to be so interesting this year. Where is the Dory going to play? There's a lot of guys that have opportunities to play on both sides of the ball. So to me, one of the more interesting storylines is just some of these athletes, where they're going to come in and where they're going to settle in on this team. Right, and, you know, they have some other cornerbacks that are coming in, too. Simmons and some of these kids, I think, they can play, too. So the cupboards aren't bare. The cupboards aren't bare. So you've got to make sure uh, that uh, – and I don't think the secondary is bare. I think the secondary is one of the most improved parts of the USC Trojan defensive side of the football. Not that the front seven isn't, I think, damn good. 
but I think the back end has really matured a lot this past spring. So uh, that's what you have to do. And uh, and uh, I've always said it, and I'm going to say it again, I want my players on the field. The best players got to get out there. All right, Coach. Well, we're going to keep it short here on Memorial Day since, you know, it's a holiday, and I know you're enjoying Catalina Island out there, having a good time. Uh, you're coming back soon, so get a, get a few extra minutes of uh, sunshine out there, Coach. And we'll we'll leave it at this and uh, and just move on and think about Memorial Day the rest of the day and hope you uh, hope you do the same. Thanks, buddy. I got to get out of here and uh, come back to the real world and uh, get after it. Got to go to Vegas this week too for Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame. I want to get up there and congratulate the people that are going into that and. And uh, enjoy the rest of the summer before camp starts. And uh, and I want to thank everyone out there for joining us here on our podcast. Yeah, thank you very much, Coach. And uh, I just wanted to mention before we uh, throw it over, take a little break and go over to Dan Weber, some of the stuff that's been going on. On the other aspect for USC Athletics, uh, USC women's uh, golf team didn't make their back-to-back national championship. They, they made a good run at it, though, on the final day. And uh, came in second to uh, Duke, so they came uh, their runner-up for the national championship there. USC men's tennis team won yet another national championship. It was actually the school's 100th uh, national championship, so pretty impressive there. So there was uh, another one, some other stuff going on. USC baseball, I don't know, are they turning around? It looks like uh, they did a good job. I think Oregon State, one of the best teams in the country, went, you know, won a couple of those games, two out of three there. And I had a shot at making the NCAA tournament. But as it turns out, they finished fifth in the Pac-12 and did not make it into the NCAA tournament. So the, according to uh, the experts, USC Baseball was actually one of the first four out, if you're talking about the the bubble, uh, with a 29-24 and 24 record. Uh, USC Irvine, who the Trojans lost to twice, was the last team into the tournament. So it looks like if USC won a couple of those games or one or two of those games, could have been in to the baseball tournament. So it's been the first time uh, since 2005 USC hasn't made the tournament. So they really had a shot this year. We'll see if that kind of turns around. But there's some other stuff going on in USC sports. Uh, I just want to let you guys know that. But we'll be back in uh, just a minute talking with uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. Got Dan Weber, uscfootball.com beat writer, joining us for a little while on this Memorial Day. Happy Memorial Day, Dan. How are you doing? Oh, doing good. Yes, it is. Uh, you know, out here we've got, uh, you know, a couple of national cemeteries and a big celebration, I guess, going on at the uh, – Battleship Iowa down in San Pedro. So there are a lot of places uh, that you can go and uh, and and really honor the the meaning of the day. But uh, every time you drive by the you know the memorial the cemetery, the veteran cemetery at uh, there at Wilshire, 
uh, on your way to UCLA or when you go by the one in Riverside, two really uh, you know special places. If you haven't uh, haven't gone to either one of those, it, it, it's sure a worthwhile thing to do. I'll definitely have to. I have not been there, so I would like to uh, check them out. And I know we you know we talked about this before, but we do have a lot of. Uh, veterans and even active military on uh you know listening to the podcast and on uscfootball.com so we uh we love when they write in and send in questions and stuff and everyone out there hopefully you're thinking of uh of them or anyone else that you might have known or people you didn't know on uh memorial day a really special day absolutely i i know i got you know very lucky uh at a time or two and uh was able to go uh go to europe and uh, about this time of year uh Stop, you know, stopped at, you know, Normandy at, uh, you know, the the cemetery there, and uh, oh my goodness, you know, the, to just to see the the sense of, you know, what happened on D-Day and all that. I mean, there's just no more uh, 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 kind of moving place, that, you know, that you can be is to be uh, to be, uh, you know, the beaches of Normandy and and to stop in at the American cemetery there is just uh, uh, just hard to even uh you know express it uh what those guys did for us it's uh yeah i've i've i love world war ii history that's kind of one of my favorite things and i've been you know to japan and germany and seeing all kinds of different stuff in russia um just crazy i I love you know kind of soaking in that stuff i was never no one in my family was ever in the military or anything but um you know just something i've always enjoyed watching so it's just everyone else you know kind of keep uh Everyone in your thoughts today, uh, people that have helped uh, this country become what it is and serve the country and all that. So we, we appreciate everyone out there for that. And uh, Dan, I guess we want to talk a little football. There's not a lot going on. Uh, you know, we're in towards the end of May and it's kind of slowing down. The draft is over and stuff now. But I know that you have a, a column coming up about the uh, Pac-12 and uh, some of the revenue that's going on there. Maybe you kind of share some thoughts, give people a little preview uh, what's going to be going up on uscfootball.com. Yeah, a really surprising thing. Uh, I mean, USA Today does a great job of uh, studying all the uh, required uh, IRS filings uh, that, you know, give you the information on on private schools and who's paid what and where the revenues are going or on the uh, uh, conferences, for example, and they look at their tax files and, uh, you know, what kind of income and uh, their, you know, their, uh, you know, non, uh, you know, profit. Making, I don't know what the exact designation is, but uh, you know, if you're going to be a, a, uh, you know, not-for-profit, you know, operation, you have to file tax for it. And, and USA Today over the years has done a really good job. And uh, you know, a little bit more than a week ago, they filed a story that said basically Big Ten, SEC lead the way again in conference revenues. And then this weekend they went had one of those, whoops, uh, although they didn't really reference it, the, the news story was uh, Pac-12 zips by the SEC and the Big Ten. And and the Pac-12 almost unbelievably, uh, when they got their tax form, uh, increased their revenues this past year by $158 million wow. in one year. So. The Pac-12 now has like $334 million in revenue for the last year compared to the the Big Ten, $318 million, and the SEC, $314 million. So however they did it, and 
this is the kind of thing that nobody expected it. I know that Portland, Oregonian did a big kind of looking at uh, you know, what the conference people were thinking was going to happen in terms of looking at the different schools and saying, you know, what do you what do you think it's going to be in, in the revenues? And was saying it were maybe a little bit disappointing. And that's kind of been our our uh, understanding from people in the industry who looked at the Pac-12 networks and what have you. But however they did it, the Pac-12 has uh, you know has gone by everybody, and it's. It's truly one of those uh, you know things that you look around the country of people reacting and they almost don't know what to say. It's like, really? Wow, who knew? So we're still not absolutely certain how how this has happened because it, it's just the first year of the twelve year deal uh, with Fox and ESPN, the three billion dollar deal. And the way it had always been reported and the way, you know, I mean, the Pac-12 has always kind of indicated was that there would be lesser revenues in the earlier years, which would build so that you may average $25 million a year per school, but that it was going to start out more at $15 million and then increase uh, in the outer years. But it looks like some of the analysts that are looking at it are thinking, well, maybe they've decided to take it the same amount every year all the way through the 12 years, so they're getting more more uh, more bucks uh, originally, uh, and and that would make sense because of the expense that the uh, Pac-12 has had to go to to establish the network. Uh, because unlike in the Big Ten and the SEC, they're not sharing those expenses with Fox or with uh, ESPN. Uh, the Pac-12 is completely, uh, you know, 100% uh, owner of the uh, of the Pac-12 network. So. Basically, all that investment had to come from the Pac-12 schools themselves. So, you know, we're not going to know all the bookkeeping and the ins and outs and how much of the the revenue, you know, came from the schools through the networks and then comes back to the schools and all of that. But whatever is happening, the Pac-12 is generating a lot of revenue, uh, and that's kind of been a shocker to the uh, – it's a holiday weekend, so nobody's had much time to react to it. But and maybe that's the time when you do release stuff like that, and everybody is just kind of wow, Pac-12, huh? Who who knew? Yeah, so, doesn't it seem a little strange? <laughs> doesn't it seem a little strange though? Like, it, I mean, with you know, you're talking about a network like the SEC network will launch, and it'll be, you know, and it'll probably be everywhere. Um, and the Pac-12 can't get into a lot of different areas and uh you know it's kind of inexplicable i mean i think they listed their revenue from the pac-12 networks as 81 million 81.9 million dollars or something in the last year and when you look at their commercials you're quite you're not quite sure where that's coming from and again not an expert in cable tv and the cable tv you know fees and things like that but you do know that there are people in southern california who can get the big 10 network but they can't get the you know the the Pac-12 network. Right. So uh, and then the, and then I think with so many of our people knowing that Directv's largest you know by far largest market in the country or the close to two million people in Southern California, and that those people aren't able to get the Pac-12 network, it's it's going to be hard for people to you know maybe say oh they're doing a pretty good job because they can't get them and so. Uh, uh, it, we, we don't have total you know, understanding of how this all happened. We just know that, according to their uh, 
tax files for 2013, the uh, the Pac-12 took in more money than than the other two. However, they did it. <laughs> they did it. Wow. All right. Well, we'll see. I'm looking forward to that column, uh, seeing kind of some of the details on that. But it's uh, yeah, it's, it's rather it's rather shocking, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> And 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 they're spending the money too. I mean, Larry Scott's three point three million dollars salary is uh, kind of dwarfs any of the other commissioners. Uh, and uh, he also uh, almost in the same deal as Lane Kiffin had. Still has a kind of one point eight one point nine million dollar loan that he hasn't had to pay back yet either. So uh, life is good if you're Larry Scott. And they have a couple of other people making over $700,000 a year. I guess on the tax forms, you basically have to list your five highest. Uh, and if you're a non- nonprofit, you have to list your five highest paid uh, employees. So they have uh, three making uh, in a 700000 or more. So um, the PAC-12 is uh, you know, generating the revenue, and, and, and they're, they're paying, the, paying it out. And it was a case of, I think, they generated three hundred and thirty four million dollars in revenue and they spent three hundred and thirty two million so and a lot of that goes back to the schools in terms of uh rights fees. I guess everybody got a full share uh, i think Colorado no excuse me Utah I think just gets a half a share, but the others uh close to twenty million dollars each so uh pretty pretty decent i and, and that's where uh it looks like they're taking uh, an average over the 12 years as opposed to starting smaller and then building to uh, bigger at the end. Uh, it looks like the networks must be okay with that, um, and probably rightly so. The networks, uh, that, that kind of programming you can't get anywhere else, that live, uh, you know, for the, the perfect demographics that you want, and it's live programming that you can't get anywhere else. You can't. You know, uh, you got to watch the commercials, uh, all that kind of stuff. It's everything that, uh, you know, the networks want. So um, uh, probably willing to redo the deal uh, quietly and just say, yeah, we'll give it to you, uh, you know, equally over the over the 12 years. But that seems to be what it looks like maybe has happened to kind of change the picture. Okay. Uh, well, let's uh, move on. I wanted to talk about the team a little bit. Um, maybe just give people kind of an update on uh, what's going on right now. There's really not a whole lot uh, <laughs> yeah, this happening is their, on the This team. is their, the end of their third week of uh, uh, break. So they gave them a three-week break. And so um, um, they'll be getting back to you know, summer school. And <clears throat> they've been working out. I mean, they've still been lifting, still been conditioning, but no kind of organized activities or whatever. And so they'll all – you know, the, you know, freshmen start coming in, starting class, and getting together with the other guys. So, uh, so that starts happening, uh, you know, as, as this coming week. Uh, so, we're not exactly sure, how, you know, how they're going to do it and all that. But uh, this will be the time when they uh, they start getting back together, and, and we'll see uh, see some of the freshmen for the first time. Won't be able to talk to them. Uh, actually, won't be able to talk to any of the players through the month of June. They want to give them a break, and then uh, in July we're allowed to you know start talking to them again at the uh, in their summer sessions. But uh, we are allowed to be there, allowed to video it, so we'll be able to see what they're doing and what they look like and how they're you know working together and all that kind of thing. All right, um, and so one of those incoming freshmen uh, is Adore Jackson, and there's always a lot of talk about him 
Um, there was a question we got from Ron. I don't know if you heard about this, but I kind of uh, checked it out a little bit. And I, I know Chris Swanson did a story on him when he went over to Sarah and talked to him. And um, he was, it was about his high school championship thing. So Ron wrote in and said, I heard last week at the state high school track and field championships, I think it was a CIF, uh, like I believe regionals or something like that, that Adore Jackson was disqualified in the long jump because a rule stated he received communication electronically. Uh, what does that mean? You know, I don't, I don't know what the California rules are. No, there are different rules in like football uh, in terms of the way coaches are allowed to, you know, communicate. Uh, for example, the NFL, you're allowed to send photos down, you know, to the sidelines, and you aren't in college football. I think the NFL, you're allowed to have radio connection. You know, in college football, you're not. I don't know what. I mean, I think originally some of those rules were to prevent schools that had maybe uh, a money advantage or technological advantage from uh, having, uh, you know, the ability to to do something like that. I mean, for example you know, was there a coach in the stands who was, you know, to an earpiece, you know, communicating uh, some coaching uh, details and that. Uh, I mean, I, I know from different sports, like in, in tennis, you know, it used to be you couldn't coach them during and then you'd see them giving hand signals and whatever up in the stands. And then and you are allowed to do more now than you used to be. So each of these each sport and probably at each level has their own rules. I miss that uh, on that on that uh, you know communication rule, but but I could see that that would be a case of of um, you know once the you know the competition starts, uh, you're not allowed. And whether you can go talk to your coach, I think you can probably go talk to your coach. But for example, uh, let's say somebody had uh, a video recorder and they were running the video, and they could detect something that you were doing wrong and communicate that to you, you might have an advantage over, say, a school that didn't have the ability to have a, you know, communicate, to be, have the ability to both record it, analyze it, and then communicate it to you uh, verbal, you know, through a, uh, uh, say, an earpiece, through, you know, a cell phone or something like that. So it's interesting, though. Dang it. I, you know, I don't know how are the rules going to keep up with uh, with uh, all the things that are going to happen. I mean, when's the first time some guy's going to score a touchdown, take a selfie in the end zone <laughs> and tweet it? Huh? That could or happen. Get to the sidelines, huh? You think that won't happen? Huh? It definitely could. I think it might. Uh, yeah, we've seen uh, Terrell Owens do some crazy stuff. That would be if he came. Right. Back I mean, I think it. now. I mean, just think about that. I don't, I don't think. I mean, I think that's actually a possibility this year at some level. Um, well, the what the way my understanding of how this worked, and I didn't get all the details on it, but it was a video. So basically, he was reviewing, and I don't know where the video came from, but if it was someone shot, you know, during his meet, he was reviewing himself on video. And I, I'm not a big, I don't understand track all that much, um, but it, it seems like like you mentioned, there's some sort of advantage there by. If he's doing a jump and he sees himself making a mistake during the competition, that's something, the feedback you cannot get. Um, so I think some of that would be more of a case of a lot of schools couldn't afford that or couldn't do that, and that would give you an I think it just show you where your, your takeoff foot was, you know? You oh, were okay. six inches behind where you really should have been, and it gives you an ability to see what you're doing 
uh, in a way you couldn't see it, and neither can their, your competitors uh, see it. So I can understand that that would be a rule, and I think it's not a bad rule, actually. But I guess it's not necessarily people are so used to now doing that that you know they're going to probably have to either uh, you know update the rules, make sure everybody understands them, or whatever. I mean, what you would like to say is uh, where somebody would see somebody using that and just walk up and tap them and say, no, 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 uh, you may not know the rule, but you're not allowed to do that, rather than disqualifying them. I mean, I think that's the, you know, that's like the, uh, our school systems or, you know, the kid, what did I see this week, some little seven-year-old, they told him to go out outside and look at the clouds and see what they saw, and he looked up and saw one that, kind of in the shape of a gun. So he came back in and they said, write what you saw. What you, you know, and he said, I saw a gun. And they immediately marched him to the principal's office and turned him in for, uh, you know, threatening the uh, safety of the students or whatever. No, just, you know, do it right. I mean, it, so I think in that case, I'm guessing Addery and uh, maybe the Sarah people had no idea that that was like a rule, that, you know, you couldn't do that. Because uh, people do that nowadays. That's what you do. You analyze what you're doing. I mean, UCLA has drones over the practice field now, right? I mean, uh, <laughs> I think things are different. Yeah, that's <laughs> it's definitely different. But we'll we'll let you know anything else we find <clears throat> out about that. But that's kind of my understanding of of what went down last week. Chris did a story on Adore Jackson. You can kind of check out and. It, it looks like from reading Chris's story, Dan, and, and I know this has changed a lot, but it looks like, uh, I mean, they, they have a better idea where he's going to end up playing, but it, it, it just seems like that could change any day. Well, the latest I've heard from, from Sark is uh, Adore, Juju, Ajene, Rashid, all those guys are going to play both ways the first five days. They're going to absolutely, I get the sense they really don't know that they're going to, they're going to just see uh, what they – I mean, I think of the seven uh, skill players that, you know, that they're bringing in that, you know, that can kind of do that. Uh, three are going to play defense, but the other four are going to absolutely uh, go both ways uh, the first five days. They're going to get a lot, of, uh, a lot of opportunity both ways, and then we'll see what happens. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't get the sense they're leaning – they're certainly not giving away uh, if they're leaning one direction or another with those guys. They really aren't. Although, what we're hearing, and I'm hearing this from uh, a number of coaches, the guy they're really excited about and think is going to be an absolute breakout player this year, um, which might tell you how, how the freshmen are going to end up, but the guy that we keep hearing from that they think is – ready to really, really show people what he can do is George Farmer, that they think he's back and he can be a dominant matchup problem for anybody that USC plays, that, that George Farmer is the guy who they're really excited about where he is now and what he can do. And, uh, you know, he's, he's bigger and stronger than an awful lot of the people he's going to be matched up against and can run over them, and he's quicker. Uh, you know, the guys that are big enough and strong enough to match up with him can't keep up with him. And uh, that so if that happens, might be 
maybe you'll see uh, more of those guys go to defense. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I guess the good thing is there are a lot of – there's a lot of – I mean, maybe it's good or bad. There are a lot of options. There's guys that can play on both sides, and it really depends on, to me, guys that are on the team now. You mentioned a guy like George Farmer and how they end up working out. And if they, it looks like he's going to be a superstar on, on offense, do you not need to put – Juju Smith there or do you, you know, whatever. I mean, there's a lot of different factors kind of coming into this. You know, how, how's Gerald Bowman going to, you know, do you feel really comfortable with him? Maybe you don't need another safety. I mean, so there's, I think there's a lot of options there, but it could be paralysis by analysis. You know, now was it paralysis by analysis, too much analysis. You get too much like, Oh, we're going to move him here, move him there. And it could get confusing. It's good to have a lot of options, but I think they have to do it in an intelligent way. So you don't move guys around too much. Well, I think uh, that's one of the advantages of the up-tempo uh, practice uh, situations that they're in because it gives you way more opportunities in practice to see. Uh, so I think that was one of the unbelievable downfalls of Lane's tenure was the slow-moving, not-very-many-play practices that got them unprepared for those kinds of games, but it also didn't allow you to see much. Of what was going on. I mean, really, guys didn't have a chance to compete. Guys didn't have a chance to take spots away from people. Guys didn't have a chance, you know, to be seen doing different things. I think one of the things you have to do with the USC program with the scholarship numbers is you really extend the numbers of scholarships if you've got guys who legitimately can play either way. Uh, that changes your numbers. And uh, so you have to be a little flexible. You have to be able to, you know, as you say, smartly approach that in practice so that uh, you don't, you know, end up with, well, we'd like to move him over now, but I don't know. It might be too late. You know, we, uh, no, I think so. It'll be interesting to see. I think there's going to be a lot of, uh, uh, I don't know if I would call it pressure, but just a lot of, I mean, those guys are going to have to be really ready to go because I think they're really going to get thrown in there. I think that was one of the geniuses, a uh, genius part of Pete's system was that the young guys really got a chance to show what they could do quickly. Uh, I mean, the, the theory was we want to see what, you know, what, how competitive are you? Where are you best suited? The only way we can do that is throwing you in there right away. So I think those first five days are going to be really interesting as far as, uh, you know, all this shaking out. Uh, but, uh, uh, Stay tuned, but it does give USC far better numbers than it looks like on paper if you've got guys that can be, you know, play both ways. That, that really increases your numbers. All right, one last thing, Dan. This is from Corey about the uh, college football playoff. He, he wants to know, and I, I'm not sure how much you know about this, but we can at least discuss it a little bit. Is there any provision in the college football playoff to avoid rematches in the semifinal games? In other words, if Oregon plays USC in the Pac-12 championship game, both are still playoff worthy, would the committee avoid uh, rematching them? We just haven't heard any discussion on this possibility if teams from the same conference make it to the four-team playoff. Something that certainly can come up a lot in the SEC, too, uh, Dan. What do you think? Yeah, uh... What you know is the first two games, uh, the semifinals, are the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl, and the uh, the closer team gets to go to the uh, the closer side, obviously. So if you win the be at the Rose Bowl, you win the SEC and you're in the playoffs, you're going to be in the uh, 
in the um, in the Sugar Bowl. Big 12 probably would then Sugar Bowl. Uh, if there's a second team, uh, very good question, and I don't have the answer. I think they would avoid that. Uh, I would think, you know, if you if you're the the team that has won, there might be an, uh, in terms of the seeding, you would probably think that uh, I don't know because you go, if you go one against four and two against three, uh, they would. They could obviously, you know, match it up any way they want, but they probably would not do that for all kinds of reasons. Uh, but I don't know if it's written. I don't know that we know that. That's a. That, well, we don't know the criteria completely yet. Uh, so this will be a learning experience as to how that would go. One would think that that you know, let's say you've got three obvious choices. You know, the SEC, Big 12. I don't know if it'd be ACC if Florida State uh, maintains uh, where they are, or, or Big 12, or Pac-12. Uh, but let's say you've got three obvious choices, and then your fourth choice. My guess with the the first year is if they've got a choice between the second SEC team, or even the second Pac-12 team, and a Big 10 team, for example, they're going to pick the Big 10 team. I, I I would think their ideal situation would be four teams from four conferences this first year. And uh, I think if I had to guess, the SEC having decided against going with a nine-team schedule and, uh, you know, keeping their kind of, you know, we play uh, eight home games every year, four, you know, patsies, and, and then we play four teams from the, uh, you know, out of the, uh, we play eight out of the 13 possible opponents in the SEC. I'm thinking that the SEC is not going to be rewarded for that this year by getting a second team in, or, you know, maybe not necessarily anybody. Now, let's say if USC, you know, and UC, or UCLA and Oregon run the table and they're both unbeaten by the uh, championship game, um, I would think the t- the loser in that game would have a chance uh, of getting in as the fourth spot, but uh, but I don't think they'll reward the. I really think the SEC has put themselves in a position where they probably can't game the system like they they've been doing. And I know they're trying to figure out what's the best way to get two teams in, but uh, but I don't know that you know their track record this past year and going forward. I'm just not sure that they're going to be able to do that, but um, but but it would require basically a conference getting two teams in for that kind of a matchup, unless I guess Notre Dame runs the table and somehow figures a way to get in and have to play uh, a USC or a Stanford that they've already played. Uh, but uh, you would think they would avoid that in the first game, but uh, I don't know. I we don't will see. There's all kinds of controversy potential there say like Oregon and USC make it one year and they make them play in the in the first round and Alabama and Auburn make it the next year and they get the they don't have to play until the finals if they both advance that would be uh there'd be more yeah you know, that would be uh, one of those ones where you wouldn't want to be Pat Hayden coming to uh you know Heritage Hall the next day because uh, since Pat's one of the 13 on the on the committee you probably wouldn't want to uh, be involved in that is, you know, I don't know I, whether the Pac-12 is going to be represented or not. They've got three obvious. I mean, Condoleezza Rice, it's from Stanford, and um, 
and uh, what's his name? Willingham, uh, former Stanford and Washington and, and Notre Dame coach, uh, is also on the committee. So of the 13, Pac-12 seems decently represented on there. So we shall we shall see how that works. They say you don't have to. If it's your conference, you don't have to take a, you know, the only time you have to sort of recruit yourself is if it's your actual team. But, uh, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, I don't think we have any idea how that's going to work out, how those people, you know, what the criteria are going to be, how serious are they going to be. I mean, this, it gives them a great chance, for example, to, to send a message that uh, to the SEC that, you know, you really need to play more than eight games uh, in your conference. You really need to not uh, play five teams in the conference. You know, you really need to um, uh, to not play eight home games every year, where you buy four wins. Uh, as good as, as good as they've been, uh, it would seem that that this would be the opportunity to uh, to send that message. So maybe they will, and and, and that's a message that will probably help the Pac-12, even though the Pac-12 probably hasn't quite maintained, you know, some of the um, uh, scheduling uh, situations as, as USC is finding out if they won't play you. It's hard to hard to show what you can do against the SEC if, if they won't schedule you. So, and, and maybe that's one of the things that's happening with the uh, Alabama game uh, in 2016. It certainly looks like both schools want to play that game. I mean, they're probably all sorts of things that have to get – I mean, the Pac-12 has a rule, for example, that if you play a one-time uh, game like that without a return game, uh, and it was made, this rule was made for the best of reasons, you can't just take the guarantee that the Pac-12 has to have the rights, the broadcast rights. Well, if you're going to play Alabama in the you – know, Jerry's world in, uh, you know, in, in Texas – uh, you aren't going to be able to demand the broadcast rights for that game. Now, the thought was the reason, for example, let's say Washington State decides they're going to take a couple of big guarantee games a year uh, around the country and pocket all that money because, it's, say, they get a you know couple of million-dollar guarantee. And uh, they could say, "Fine, we won't. We don't care about the broadcast rights. We'll just take the money." Well, that would be money that they could put right in their pockets and not share with the rest of the Pac-12. So, for good reasons, the Pac-12 said you can't do that. Uh, but then that makes having a game like USC Alabama more problematic because you have to get around, figure out a way to get around that rule, which says uh, if you play one game. Uh, for a guarantee, the Pac-12 needs to have the rights, uh, uh, broadcast rights. So, so there's some finessing that needs to be done uh, for a game like uh, USC Alabama. All right, Dan. Well, great stuff. Thanks for uh, coming on the show and and talking about more USC football. Next next time around, we'll be in June, and the workouts will be starting. And there'll be all kinds of crazy stuff going on. So there'll be more more team news coming up real soon. So thanks everyone for. Uh, for tuning in, and thanks, Dan, for coming on the show. Enjoyed it, and good Memorial Day to everybody. Yeah, happy Memorial Day. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoy your long Memorial Day weekend, and we'll talk to you next week.
You've been listening to the Pear Style Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.